Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Fight for Success podcast. I'm joined by Axel Mayhofer. Um, Axel, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. No, is it, did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, very close, yeah. <laughs> very close. <laughs> Mate, thanks for joining the podcast. I'm super excited to share your story with our, with our listeners. Um, I've you know, read a little bit about you, and it seems like we're kind of in a similar space, which is really good. Um, I think we can have a pretty good conversation and share some really good stories with uh, with my network and um, yeah, hopefully um, help you guys out as well. Um, so just start off with um, who's who's Axel? Tell us, tell us, tell the listeners. Yeah, Axel is a kind of a weird guy, uh, to be honest. So uh, he basically got born, was born in Germany and had an uncle who worked for Lufthansa. So he always wanted to fly and uh, applied to the airlines, went through the testing they said, yeah, yeah, you're all good. And then the first snack in life came along called a recession where they didn't want to hire anybody. And as your listeners will know, you can't wait around forever, right? When I said, how long would I have to wait? I said, oh, three, four years. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, so checking around and finding out, okay, well, the airlines aren't the only ones who fly. You can also fly for uh, the military. So I went to the Navy and said, hey, guys, I heard because I was in northern Germany, as we talked before we started recording, right, right by the water, I was very familiar and huge Navy port. Yeah, kind of like San Diego here where I live now, right, but just in Germany. And I went there and said, I heard you have planes to fly. I want to fly. How about it? And they said, yeah, that's totally cool. But first, you need to learn how to drive a boat. I said, no, 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 I want to fly. They said, well, if you don't want to learn how to drive a boat, go to the Air Force. So yeah. <laughs> I went to the Air Force, same yeah. thing, went through the whole thing. I knew already how the testing goes, which was actually kind of like a little advantage. Yeah, and then got in there and went to fly training and flew around for 22 years. And ultimately, when you get to an age where the, the stress the, on the body, it's not the mental, it's more the physical stress, um gets too much then you basically get told hey you have a choice you can fly a desk or get out and i said oh well i'm not going to fly your desk so if yeah. any then i fly my own <laughs> so i got out retired from the air force and that was there's a long story behind it but i don't want to bore you or your audience about it. anybody can read it and i wrote all kinds of stuff about it but basically got out and immediately recruited uh, by a software company because of my program management and mentoring, coaching, training background. Because yeah. I didn't just fly, I also was an instructor teaching others how to do it. So I did that for four years and found out that working in private industry was not quite everything that I thought it would be. But I also realized because I then I was told you have to go to school if you want to have a chance for a really like executive level um, career, you got to get some degrees. And so I did that. And while I was doing this, like getting masters and, and stuff in how do you actually run a business, the theory and the practice just didn't fit together. And I thought, well, but I understand the theory and there's a lot of good stuff in it. How about I try it myself? And so in 2005, I started my own business initially, and it still exists, consulting uh, in businesses on how to help them organize better, get their people motivated, stuff like that. And I did that all along, but I brought up the question, well, what do you do if you own a business? How do you plan for retirement? And I'm sure you and your, your clients um, and audience have that same question, right? And so initially, all, everything that we do now, I only did that for myself or my family. Yeah. And now, after you know, talking about what we did and how we kept uh, buying more assets, people say, oh, you know this, and I've never heard this, and can you, and you should put it out there. 
And I was hesitating and hesitating until the play came around. And then I had time to actually make it happen, you know. I mean, I've always talked to people and had people, but make it kind of official with a website and a podcast and everything. That started like end end of uh, 2019. Yeah. Okay, awesome, awesome. And you, you touched on a really important point because um, I, I I went down the you know, education path with um, doing an MBA and things like that. And one of the things I realized when I finished my MBA was it doesn't help you with small business at all. Would you agree with that? Not yeah. with the how to run or form a small business. What helped me quite a bit is from the get-go to realize what are the kind of people that I want to actually deal with yeah. and what are the kind of people I don't want to deal with. And that, that part was helpful, maybe pass, partially because of the kind of classes I took. But all the other stuff, you know, mainly was for large business and, and had terminology and things, you know, revenue numbers and profit numbers and asset depreciation and stuff. None of that really was relevant when you start and say, holy shit, how do I get my first client? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I felt that um, the education was kind of more steered towards becoming a, you know, a CEO of a big, large organization or um, being like a marketing manager for a large organization or something like that. But yeah. to actually run a small business where you've got all the hats on, um, I just didn't really feel like it helped you get that first client. But yeah, no, that's um, interesting. Story. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. And and the sad part about it is it would be so helpful if there were at least some of it or if you had the choice to say, okay, I want to get like large business economics or small business or startup economics, right? Because I think most people who have the vision to ever re really go into business would probably start out with a smaller unit size and then work their way into something because it's much more likely that if you really want to be in charge, which was kind of my situation too, then you wouldn't start with 100 people or 1,000 people or anything like that. That's right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you touched on it just briefly, but um, so how, how did you actually get into this um, business and um, yeah, how, how did this all come about? Well, it evolved into a business, uh, this whole you know early, uh, path to early retirement and, and time freedom point and all these things, uh, what we call the ideal investor journey that we're doing now with our clients. It basically, for one, I mentioned uh, briefly that it started on my own, but you have to keep in mind, I mentioned in 2005 was when I started the business. And you, if you look a little bit historically, you will know that between 2001 and 2003, there was a massive uh, crash in the stock market or the yeah. dot-com bubble burst. So for me, when I thought, okay, if we, and as we started making some business, uh, some, some revenues, and I was thinking, okay, we should put something aside. I don't want to work forever. Mm -hmm. The question was, where do we put it? Right. And one thing that helped me, obviously, uh, is because in the military, you get moved around so much uh, every two or three years. There were situations where we either stayed on the base or we were tenants off base. But there were also a few situations where we actually it was smart or it seemed to be smart to buy something. Then we got moved again three years later and sell it and break even or even make a little profit. So I had a little bit of an idea. So when I was sitting there and saying, OK, this stock bubble just burst. Um, you know, that is not something that I want to risk my money in. That was my perspective. So what can I do that has worked for ages and ages and ages? And it basically uh, came to be real estate. Kind of a little funny side story on that is I looked around and said, okay, who do I know who would have had a similar situation? Yeah. And the person I found of all people was Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I asked myself, okay, <clears throat> 
guys from Austria, when you see the first Conan movies or stuff like that, you would say, okay, is there really a brain in there? Or is there just a vacuum between the ears, right? Like the way they portray him. So I look him up a little bit and find out at the time that he was already, when I started my business, one of the largest real estate holders in California. I'm like, what? He is the Terminator. Why is he in real estate? Right? And come to find out that he made tons and tons of money and he had one movie after the next, but massive amounts of, of cash coming in. And he decided, I get into real estate. And he did it for really, I mean, everybody knows how long he's been in movie making. And this stuff had like, very steadily grown into basically an empire. And I thought, okay, well, he's an immigrant. He was not the smartest in the shop. He had some luck with getting the right jobs and getting a ton of money and he did this and it worked. So why not me, right? And so that's how I initially got in there. Yeah, okay. So, so you're more uh, focused on like building wealth through property. Is that what you- Yeah, exactly. Well, basically what we do is we start out by basically focusing on how do we get to what we call the time freedom point, which is the point where you say, okay, if, if you say I'm Michael and I want to make, let's say 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, whatever your number is per month in income as passive income. So you get what I call the freedom to determine what you want to do with your time. Yeah. Right? So I have learned, and this is the same with, with what I learned in the Air Force. You can't in the Air Force jump from one jet to the next and just fly around as if it's nothing. You really, really train pretty much all your life to get really, really good in one thing. And so in the real estate investing support or early retirement journey that we are doing now, it's basically all revolving around residential real estate, not storage units, not business, not high rises, not apartment complexes. We fo focus on that as the core but then there are also other asset classes like crypto or gold and silver and, and a few other things for diversification. But yeah. the main point was, and that is also something that I find is helpful, everybody that I know has either aspired to live in a house or aspired to own a house or from their family know their parents own a house or stuff. So it's not a concept where you really first have to explain what is it to invest in residential real estate. Yeah. Very few people run around and say, oh yeah, I, I own that business building over there or I own the shopping mall or my parents used to own, the, um, I don't know, the storage unit or something. Like, even though that's not that far removed, but it's quite different than just to say, okay, the house that you live in and maybe own or have a mortgage on, you can have five or 10 or 15 of those but not live in them, have tenants live in them, give them a nice place to live, they pay your rent. And then as long as the relationship, and this is one of the things you asked me at the beginning, what is one of those nuggets, right, for your audience? Mm -hmm. One of those nuggets for the audience is everybody talks about real estate from the perspective of how much does it cost to buy something. Yeah. And I really, I mean, my, my daily bread, so to speak, is to teach people that you really need to look at performance. Yeah. Right? I, for your own for your own property, it's still true to say location, 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 because there are so many factors that are not directly related to the house itself or to the yeah. property itself. But as soon as you look at it from a residential real estate investment or multifamily investment or whatever other thing with real estate, it becomes and should be always a matter of how well does it perform. Yeah. So if the ratio between what you pay and what you make is in a good ratio, it performs well, you're good to go. It doesn't matter whether it got 10% more expensive last year. Yeah. 
Okay. But that's really something very important. And I'm saying this as if it is easy to determine. There is quite a bit behind the curtain, so to speak, that you need to learn. But I wish that more people would get away from saying, okay, real estate in the United States has increased 10% on average for the last three years, or four years, or five years. It's irrelevant if, for example, you can make sufficient amount of income through rent. Yeah. Who cares how much it costs? Yeah. Which also answers the question a lot of people now say, well, we have all these price increases. Is it too late? I don't know if you've ever heard, but there's a really cool, kind of cool saying about real estate, right? The best time to invest in real estate was 25 years ago. And the second best time is now. Yeah. <laughs> That's always true. Yes. Regardless. Exactly. But in the sense of, if you find if you have a well-performing property, you would have loved to have it in the past. Yeah, you would like to have it now, and any day that you wait, it's just going to get more expensive. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, like I think um, you know when when properties do start to go up, people do think that you know the property market is going to readjust and the property price is going to go down, and you know they're just going to buy in at a better time or whatever else. And most times pretty much all times they end up paying more than they wish they should have, or they end up missing out because they can't get the finance to actually buy it. So you tell no, yeah, I, I agree with that, Michael, but the fallacy is that real estate is oftentimes discussed in the media as if it is something that you buy for food in the grocery store. Mm, yeah. it is, real estate is something you buy something at a point in time and with my help or your help, the person who wants to make the investment looks should look, like I keep saying, that it performs well from day one. And let's say the definition of performing well is it makes me $200 a month after everything is paid, plus reserves, plus management, plus insurance, plus to everything is paid, and I still make 200 bucks a month. Yeah. Right? So, and if you really think about it, if you never increase the rent, if you never do anything, you're just sitting there. You will make those $200 a month, at least in the United States, for the next 30 years. Yeah. So if that is your starting criterion to say, this is what I define as well-performing, it is completely irrelevant that other people's rent increase, that other people's mortgages, their interest increases, they couldn't find a cheap property or not. Well, it doesn't matter. Your 200 bucks are going to come in there no matter what. In reality... You will obviously increase the rent every so often, so it's going to be more than two hundred. But that's the starting criteria that I want to get across also to anybody who is listening. It's not like you go and buy a cucumber today and next week it's you know buy it for two dollars today and next week it's two twenty and in a year from now it's two fifty. You need a cucumber or vegetables or food all the time. You have no choice. You have to buy kind of. Yeah. I was real estate you only need to look at that performance criteria at the day of purchase. And especially when you say these $200 times 20 is $4,000. And I mean, $200 is a pretty low performing deal, but still, right? If you were to do that and you say, I want $4,000 passive income, I'm never going to touch the rent or anything. You need 20 of those, you're good to go. Yeah. Right. Or if you say $300, then you need maybe 15. Yeah. Right? And so, that's the point that I'm trying to get across is we cannot come. It's really an apples to oranges comparison to say I'm looking at something like a real estate, like a property, as if I'm in need of getting one every week or every two weeks, hmm. which is not the reality. You get one, you have it, then you look for the next one. Yeah. yeah and as long as each one meets the criteria, you're good to go. Yeah. 
I think with um with property as well, um, people tend to put way too much emotion on their investment properties. It's okay to have a I feel it's okay to have emotion when it comes to the property you're gonna live in because like you know, you yeah. need to be happy where you live, the suburb, you know, you need to be happy with your marble yeah, yeah. marble kitchen benches or whatever it is that you really right. want. But when it comes to investments, it should be an emotionless um, process where you purely look at the numbers and make decisions based on purely objective facts. If the suburb or the area that you're buying in has ticks all the boxes with um, future growth and has all the fundamentals for future growth um, and you know low vacancy rates and owner occupancy rates are high and things like that, um, ticks all the boxes, then it's a, it's, it's a good investment that's going to perform well in the future. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the only thing that I would say, in addition to what you just listed, is that you want to have certain criteria for the quality of the asset. Yeah. Right? Because you might find a situation where it's in the right place, the right economic environment, the numbers all work, but the place is not really solid. Right? But as yeah. soon as you can combine those two things, all the things you listed, plus a really solid, either newly renovated or newly built um, property, you're pretty much good to go. Yeah, we, um, we we tend to try and stay away from like brand newly built um, properties, just because you don't fully know whether the, um, the what the building is actually going to be like. We prefer to look at um, like established properties that you know you have a good record of how the property's been performing. Um, you know, see what you know the building and pests and everything else is going to be showing. Um, get a good idea of what the uh, property is going to be like in the future. Um, brand newly, or especially off the plan ones where it hasn't even been built yet, we try to tend to stick away, steer away from those ones. Um, what's what's your thoughts on brand new properties or off the plan properties? Yeah, well, it's almost semi-philosophical the way I look at it, and, and not just in the context of new built properties, but almost in the context of anything that is kind of in that sense brand new. Mm. Right? Like when a brand new version of a TV, a brand new version of a computer, a brand new vo version of some sort of a toy or so forth comes out. Yeah. I'm always a little hesitant to say, okay, well, how likely is it that the very first go around that they make this thing is perfect, yeah. right? Because ideally we all look for perfection for our money. That being said, at the same time, I'm saying, I give you an example of an active project that we do. I I'm investing in it. I'm, I'm in the process of getting it uh, built and several of our clients do the same thing with a builder and with a project in and of itself that has been going on for three years. Mm. And so it's no longer that you say, okay, well, I have a plan, which is a standardized plan, which the local uh, community has already agreed that it meets all the permitting requirements and stuff like that. But I can literally fly there and look at any of those houses that they built in the last two and a half years of that plan. Yeah. Right? So I have the building quality. Now they're not tracked like a hundred, like, uh, you know, cookie cutter, all the same in one gated community, but they are built in a larger community on individual lots that we own from the get-go, that's our down payment is basically buying the lot. Well, in that case, it's kind of in a little bit in a way related to my definition of mentoring. And yes. right? when you say, okay, what, what does it have to do with mentoring? Well, mentoring is I went for the last 15 years through the process of learning how this stuff works, creating those relationships and admittedly make some mistakes that I learned from. Anybody who joins us now for mentoring can rightfully say, well, I'm glad you made the mistakes and you paid the money so you can tell me what to avoid and what works and what doesn't work. 
And in a sense, that's the same in this build to rent model, right? Where I can say, okay, if I can come in when somebody has already built a hundred of those and I can go and touch and can actually talk to previous investors and what went, worked well and what do you need to look out for? Well, then it works. And the beauty why I, I actually like it maybe a little more than you is the real distinction is, can you get in where you pay the builder? Yeah. And where the builder doesn't sell you something when it's done. Mm. Because when you have that, the equity that is generated in the time while it's being built, at first, you know, you sign the contract, then they have to go through permitting, then they have to get the materials, then they have to build it, then they have to go through all the inspections. Easily, you're looking at a year to 15 months. Yeah. Well, in the markets right now, that's more. Yeah. 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 But I might, well, that maybe is a little bit pessimistic, but that's kind of what we are seeing lately, especially because there is so much disruption with the supply chain and getting the materials all together and i mean you don't get a permit to occupy if yeah. you don't have door handles yeah right? you may have the perfect house everything but no door handles or you know something else which you would say is just a normal thing well but if it's not available then you don't get to actually own it basically but my point is if you think about let's say it's a year mm. and you buy it for 300 under contract and now it takes a year to build it. And if like we have seen average 10% increase, you have already 30,000 equity without doing anything. Yeah. And the day that you basically switch the, the construction loan into a regular mortgage. Yeah. And if you're lucky and you're in an area, which you can be if you pick it right, yeah. where, the, where the increase in value is even higher, you might have 45, 50,000. So you might end up in a situation, that's what I like about it. Like I said, our down payment is typically buying the lot. Yep. And you get a loan to pay the builder. By the time the thing is done and you appraise it to get the regular mortgage, you can take the money, the equity, and pay off what you had put in the in the mortgage, uh, in the in the property. Mm. So you basically have a property sitting there where you have a regular mortgage. You got your down payment back through the equity gain, and then it just sits there. It's not really infinite, but you know, it's making really, really good cash flow and you have basically the money back in hand for the next one and the next one and the next one. That's very, I've never been able to do this with the renovated property. Okay. It's very hard, yeah. especially because you always only get it when, you know, the, the people who do the renovation are done with it. In, in, um, in the States, when, you, when people are selling um, properties off, off the plan, are they, are they typically paid quite high commissions for selling them? Is in a, in a, like the reason why we kind of um, steer away from them in Australia is because they're generally uh, priced quite high because they you know they might be might be finished in eighteen months or two years or whatever, um, but the person who's actually selling them can sometimes earn ten percent commission by selling that property. So a property that is you know being sold for five hundred thousand dollars, for example, they're getting paid fifty thousand dollar commission. So really, that place is only worth four fifty, but the the consumer is paying five hundred. So when it comes time to actually build it, the valuation might come in at five hundred thousand, but it also might not have performed that well and might not actually hit five hundred thousand yet. So yeah, we, we have that too. And the way to get around it is you have to have a relationship directly with the builder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's what we do. I mean, I'm not saying exclusively, but in the deals we're doing right now, build to rent um, is directly with the builder, and that takes any agent people or stuff like that out and. Yes, you're right. That I mean, it might not be 10%, but typical US is 6%. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that in and of itself is is a chunk already, right? And you also need to find um, a lender who is actually willing to do construction loans with a private individual yeah. because they're very familiar with doing construction loans with large building companies who have like all kinds of assets and all kinds of history. But so if you or I come along and say, in my case, I can at least prove that we have like 13 properties, but that's not the case for all our clients. They may be, that might be the first or second one for that. Yeah. Right? So there are you know, dozens of lenders out there who say, okay, I do a construction loan for an individual. But, you know, one thing that I've learned in this business, and I, I wonder if you have learned a similar lesson over the years, whenever somebody says that doesn't work or that's impossible, for me, that is basically fuel to say, well, let me just see if that's really a true statement or if that's just a convenient, easy, quick statement. Yeah. And you will be surprised how many times I found, no, if you really go after it and, and you actually, you have to be willing to challenge people. Like the lenders that, that we found, and that said initially, well, we only do this for corporations. We only do this for builders. And I'm blunt enough, maybe that's the German in me, to say, can you explain to me why? Just be so kind and explain it to me why. Yeah. And when the answers are all lame answers, I keep digging and digging and digging until they have to admit themselves. Well, come to think about it, now that we actually discussed it, I don't see any reason why it couldn't work. Yeah. Well, and then the point is to say, and this is basically how my mentoring works, I never refer or, or suggest anything to any of our clients that I haven't done myself. That's why I said earlier, right, like this project in Florida, I was the first one who said, okay, I, I did all the digging, <laughs> I did all the questioning, I got them to say, okay, we're going to do this with you. I said, okay, where do I sign? And then I said, okay, here's all the evidence. Now you guys can come in and do the same thing. Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head why people should actually go through um, through a professional to actually get the finance as well. Um, so many people make the mistake in Australia, I'm sure it happens in the States as well, where they need they need finance for a property. So they just walk into a bank and say, yeah, here's my information, can I get a loan? And if the bank says no, um, you know, that, that's on their record. It might be difficult to get the next loan, for example, but also that loan may have never actually worked for that specific lender. So that's why we always recommend go through a broker, go through someone who actually does know all the lending opportunities. They can look at your situation, make a decision on which bank is probably going to be the best fit for your exact loan. And then let's work out an application that's going to look all polished and all the questions are going to be answered. We'll have a cover letter that explains everything, submit that and hopefully just get an approval straight away. Um, so the yeah, process okay. takes longer, but you know, the outcomes are so much better for the client. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And it really only takes longer the first time, right? Because the information, the way on what you put in and so forth is not that different when you go to number two, three, four, five, six, right? So that, yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think that's the right approach. And I mean, people, I, if people say, you know, what differentiates you or what, what idea Red Grower does from others is that we are really not that much focusing on giving you some program to go through. And then hopefully you learn enough to do everything on your own. Yeah. I call it basically hand-holding, but in the sense that I have just from sheer own intent and need created this network. Yeah. And now that we have been doing it for a while and obviously have referred mentoring clients to these individuals and on organizations that I've worked with, you create a dynamic where, yes, naturally, I want to do the hand-holding, explaining everything and taking some of the fear away. 
but it's also the receiving end, right? When I send somebody to, a, for example, a renovation turnkey provider, mm -hmm. where the organization focuses on renovating, like you said, you you prefer. Well, they know that, you know, like there's one in, in the States where I sent not quite 10% of their business last year on what they actually closed and sold was my referrals. Mm. Right? So when I refer somebody this year, well, they know psychologically if they start not really fulfilling their end of the bargain anymore, if they are not a good referral where I can confidently say this is a good organization, yeah. not only do they lose that one deal, I wouldn't send anybody anymore. Mm. Right? So they might basically risk 8, 9, 10% on in the future, potentially more business but just not, and so they know that obviously. It's you don't even need to tell them. They realize this is a client. I always introduce them personally, comes from this source, needs to be treated properly, right? It's a little bit like when you go in a bank and the bank knows that you have 3 million in some form of asset sitting with them. Yeah. You're just going to be treated. You somehow, you, you for normal schmucks like me, I'm standing there, you know, at the teller line and looking around and there are people coming in and they get a coffee and they get a handshake. And so I'm like, why didn't I get that? Right. <laughs> but the bankers know that the ones who are actually a little heavier in, in weight get treated differently. Right. And that's kind of the same psychology that I see when I refer clients into the network. And obviously they benefit from it. And, and the more we do this, the more everybody benefits because the goal is never to just buy one property. Yeah. But the goal is to get kind of familiar with it and learn more and more about it so that at some point I don't have to hold your hand for every little step anymore so yeah. that you can take some of the steps. But you also get to know the lender, you get to know the insurance guys, you get to know the, the renovation company, you get to know property management and so forth. So it really, I, I feel we're building a community and we're even getting to the point to say next step is to find probably virtually a way to just come together and, and just get to know each other right yeah. i mean not about the the detailed personal stuff but just to say hey we are all part of the tribe we're all kind of doing the same thing in a way and we're all getting advice and support from the same source you know so building that engagement a little bit is the next thing that we are yeah. aiming to do yeah awesome Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's all about educating people and making sure that they've got the, you know, the strategies and the tools and the resources and the due diligence process and also the professional network to go out and eventually do this on their own, right? So the idea is not for them to, you know, work with you or I forever. It's to get them educated on how to do this themselves because unfortunately a lot of people do make a lot of mistakes and it can be quite costly. Um, but educate them enough to go out and do it on their own. That's, that's yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm always thinking, I mean, obviously not there yet, but I'm always thinking, you know, maybe at one point I'm this kind of Yoda guy on the mountain and every blue moon when somebody needs something is, hey, you know, old man, you did something <laughs> for me years ago. You know, I have a question and I would still be happy to answer, right? But until we get there, I really, I mean, you asked, you said one of your questions is what, what, what moves me in this, right? And, and even though you haven't said it yet, what I really think is important to get across, I have always throughout my life always thought there must be a way where you can pretty directly feel the impact of your efforts. Yeah. Right? And there's nothing, at least I haven't found anything better than one of my mentoring clients when we have a call like you and I have right now. And it's 
giddy and, and almost bursting with, with joy because they just closed on their first property. Yeah, yeah. Or they just received the first rent and they really see the cash flow or they just understand that when they put the cash flow in a tokenized real estate placeholder, that that gives them eight times as much or 10 times as much money than keeping it in. See, you know, the, the facial expression, what they say, tells you all like I have one couple now where they said we came to you and we said we need to get to the finish line here in three years because we want to retire and they're going to do it in 18 months and when I talk to them I feel like a family member now but that kind of an impact and that kind of like emotional connection that there's no money that that anybody could pay me to replace that that's right that's good feeling um so What's uh, what, yeah? You, I mean, you just touched on it there. What, what's the main things that um, you know really inspire you to keep going and um, and, and really start achieving a lot of these goals? Have you got any like really good stories where you've um, helped a client, um, you know, achieve financial freedom or something like that? Yeah, I mean, this couple that I mentioned, right? Like, <laughs> we were joking the other day that. Um, the husband of that couple must have a direct line to the big man in the sky, right? Because we first started out to say, okay, well, I think the next thing that you can do, because they had some some money, I had initially did an analysis and felt that it was important for them to get a good chunk of money out of the stock market, partially because of their age and partially because for me, macroeconomics is really kind of like fun to keep an eye on. And I could see the writing on the wall that you can't have forever go up right anything that goes up i've been in aviation <laughs> you need to land some point right and and so i just told him hey take a good chunk of this off the table and then let's use it and i introduced them to the florida project we touched on and they gotten into that and then somebody calls me and said hey i have a great project i introduced it to another mentoring client who actually had indicated uh, that they were interested in they looked at it reviewed it and said eh, maybe not so I said to, to this other couple that just gotten the Florida deal lined up, I said, hey, this thing just became available. You want to look into this, right? And this was a short term. The other one was a long term new build. They yep. looked into it. They had the funding. They said, wow, this thing is really performing. That gets us faster to the finish line with this one property. We would have to get three others to get to the same thing. So they got that one. And then in their own neighborhood where they live, somebody says, hey, I can't keep this house anymore is there any chance that you guys come in? We have lending and everything lined up. Yeah. They turn it into a beautiful in the mountains, large a mile away from a winery, right? So from basically having a stock market portfolio and very little other than their own house, within eight, nine months, they now have three properties that perform like crazy or will perform like crazy, right? So... I would say in this case, yes, I helped with the connections, with the lending, with the insurance, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But sometimes you also get in a situation where stuff, you know, it's kind of almost like this, uh, the secret movie thing, right? Where you tell the universe, this is what I need. And it just starts happening. You know, I said, okay, you have to have a direct line to the universe, to the guy, right? Because otherwise it's almost unbelievable. But it actually happened. And again, this is another one of those stories where when I talk to these guys, the the gratitude and appreciation is that i can't i'm not good at putting those kind of emotional things in words yeah but i can feel it when i talk to them right what's going on and how they feel and how they're anticipating what's going to happen that they never thought would be possible yeah 
What's um what, what's what's your definition of um of financial freedom? What, how do you how do you explain that to people? Well, for me, financial freedom starts with time freedom, meaning like the freedom to determine what to do with the most valuable, what I would say most valuable asset we all have is time. And you can make more of it. You can make it faster or slower. So the freedom to decide what do I want to do with the time every day? Yeah. And to be able to do that, the first step in this financial freedom step is to say everything that I need to live the life the way I want to live it, which is different for different people, exactly. is covered through my asset. Uh, income. Now then, beyond that, full financial freedom um, is, a friend of mine once called it, when you start having bullshit money. And that's, you know, so you got to your time freedom point, you can do whatever you want, but then you're making either investments or more income and you can use it for like, a, like um, Robert Kiyosaki has these crazy cars. Yeah. Not because he has them or because they make financial sense. It's just for bullshit. He wants to ride around in a Ferrari, right? And other people say, okay, I want to climb Kilimanjaro or I want to have a particular, I want a Tesla tequila. Yes. <laughs> that's what you get bullshit money for, right? <laughs> so that's then beyond yeah. meeting the needs. It goes into really enjoying the fruit of your investments. And, and I really want to have that distinction, right? People always talk in the United States at least very much about the fruit of your labor. Yeah. Investing for me is to some extent your fruit of your labor together with the fruit of other people's labor. Yeah. Right? And when you can finagle that so that you need to do less and less and less by providing something that other people need. And I go straight back to Maslow, right? Maslow's pyramid, the bottom line foundation says you need security, you need food and you need shelter. I always say when people ask me, you know, how has your life been so far? I like gardening, but I only do the food for myself. <laughs> I've provided security for 22 years in my life. And now I'm helping others and do it myself. I'm providing shelter for people. Good quality, fairly priced shelter where they have a good value. They pay a fair rent. And that gives me the income to have the time free. Yeah. That's basically in a nutshell um, where we get to. And then if you get to bullshit money, even better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we actually break it down into a like a financial wealth pyramid. Um, so there's five stages that anyone can be at at any one time in the financial wealth pyramid. It starts off with struggling. So struggling is obviously you know you're working paycheck to paycheck, struggling to make ends meet. Um, then it goes to comfort, where you're actually making ends meet, but you don't have an active investment strategy going on. There's no retirement planning or anything like that. Then it goes to the growth stage, which is where you're obviously acquiring assets and investing. And then it gets to financial freedom. So financial freedom is actually the fourth stage on the pyramid for us. Um, and what that technically means is you've paid off your house. So the reason why we, we think paying off your house is important is because then you're not at the, you know, um, mercy of what the, your landlord's going to tell you to do. You're not, not going to kick you out in 12 months' time, for example. So you've got that freedom to, you know, you've got somewhere to live. Then working out exactly what your ideal lifestyle looks like what's the lifestyle that's going to make you happy and then having enough passive income through your property and shares and all that kind of stuff to actually fund that lifestyle on an annual basis while your wealth position is still growing. So pretty similar to what you, you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's great and, and totally subscribe. The only thing that I would add to that or maybe, maybe modify slightly is for me, it's important to realize that equity is only a good thing when it works for you. Yeah, and that's the only thing where I would say, as long as you are in this growth phase, 
I would always advise people to activate and make as much of the equity you have work, including your own house. Yeah, you don't just because it gets you to the finish line way faster than if you have like a nice house for four hundred thousand dollars all paid off and the equity is sitting there doing nothing for you, right? Yeah. So that it gives you a lot of comfort and security, no doubt, but it also lengthens the time that you will need to get to that financial freedom that you mentioned. Yeah, well, I guess I mean it depends if you got a if you got a strategy in place where you can get it to a uh, like a net wealth position to then you know draw down some of your investments to then pay off your house so that way you've got that freedom you've got the house you're living in but you still got that passive income coming in to fund your lifestyle you know what, what we've struggled with here in the us most of the people that come to me and that's how i started too is that you have assets that may increase in value but you're not necessarily making huge and huge amounts of money that you have a huge amount of of uh, disposable income in addition on the side yeah. So what ends up happening, you start out with a house and you pay for it and it increases in value. And when, you, when they come to me and say, okay, well, I want to start building this asset portfolio. And we look at, okay, the first two or three investments would require $100,000 of down payment, like $30,000 each. And people oftentimes say, well, I have no idea where I should take this from. I have a little bit of my savings account. I don't want to really sell my stocks, at least not right now. I say, well, how do how about we activate the equity that sits in your house? Yeah. Right? So you still have the asset, everything, but you're not paying for that equity because that comes out of your investment properties. Yeah. Right. So your tenants basically pay down those hundred thousand that you took out of the equity of your house plus the mortgages for those houses. So over time, you keep having your house with that hundred thousand paid back plus three houses, and you didn't have to come out of your pocket at all. Yeah. So that's what I mean by activating the equity. But I also uh, want to applaud you because I only say this when there is a solid foundation, right? I'm not saying tap into the equity for 95% of the value or anything crazy like that yeah. because there's way too much volatility. But if you can say, okay, my place has doubled in value and I take half of that increase in value and invest it somewhere so the equity can work for me. I don't see anything yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. 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 Well, we do we do the same thing. It's it's just a um, like it's a case by case. You you've got your, right, yeah, totally. you've, got your yeah. you've got your goals and then you know how are we going to achieve that goal? This is an option that we can do. So yeah, it's the same thing. Um yeah. awesome. I, I really loved um chatting with you. <clears throat> chatting with you. How do how do people get in get in touch with you? Well, the one thing is obviously our website. Uh, we just renovated it. It's ideawealthgrower.com. If you see anything not working, let me know because we know it's just been freshly renovated and, and you can find podcasts and a lot of content and articles and, and all kinds of stuff. Your show will ultimately be on there as well if, if you give us the links. Yep. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing is as soon as you go to the website, it kind of pops up some way to say, hey, if you'd like to talk to us and schedule a free call. And I really mean that, right? I'm, I love to talk to people. Yep. I know that not everything fits, but that's what the beauty of these podcasts are. Now we talked a little bit about it. People know, okay, it's mainly residential. We activate equity. We want to get to the time freedom point. We want to get you to a position where you have the freedom to decide what to do with your time as soon as possible. Yep. Right? And if that sounds good, then just, schedule a call let's see if we have a fit for you if you like me and and what we do and if not then we just become distant friends you know <laughs> that's it now i appreciate you jumping on the podcast i think people are going to get a ton of value out of this um out of this episode so um look appreciate your time i'll make sure i put ever uh, the links to how to get in touch with you in the um in the show notes below 
And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Mike. It was fun. And I always love to talk with people who are kind of like in the same space a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Okay, love that. All right, thanks a lot, Axel. Appreciate your time. Thank you.